0: you guys. Love yous. Uh, would you open up to Proverbs 31? As I've been speaking about that wonderful theme, speaking about idols, Speaking about those things that distract us, that become bigger than life, things that become bigger than God. I know nobody in here. Everybody zeroed in on God, right? Not a distraction on your mind? No obsessions whatsoever. Everything is perfect. You woke up singing the praises of God this morning. You went to bed singing the praises of God last night. You were sharing the good news all day to people. You no one could sh- am I right? Is that you? Oh that's only me? <laughs> Oh, okay. I think you get the point. Amen? But we've been speaking about those things that creep into our life. We don't even see it. We don't even realize it. Before you know it, they become an obsession. They take on a bigger-than-life situation. And before you know it, God easily gets put out. We can forget about God. We can be so blessed. God loves to bless His children. He blesses us in the New Testament with so many great things. And before you know it, we sort of forget about God. We lose that hunger that we had when we were first Christians. and you know, we're not... And we can turn our relationship with God into... A good religious work, but nevertheless, it's, it's a religious work. It's not a thriving personal relationship with the Lord, and we get caught up in things. So we've been speaking about these idols. I want to speak about something today, vanity. Vanity, I know there's no vain people in this room. We're the Church of the Perfect Saints, and uh, we don't struggle with these superficial things. we got our act together, we're, right? So uh, maybe that's, again, just me. But I think uh, this will speak to all of us, because I want you to know it spoke deeply to my own heart, so I'm not coming here uh, reading something I'm, I'm, part of my life is in this and my testimony is in this let's open up in verse uh, uh, Proverbs 31 verse 10 I'm really zeroing on just one verse of scripture, but I want to read the, the excellent wife I want to read something because to understand one verse of scripture, you have to understand this whole chapter, and to understand the whole book of Proverbs you have to understand this chapter it is a hermeneutical key to understanding the book of Proverbs. And I'll get to that at the end of the sermon. But it has a lot to do with, with vanity and images and idols. It's all in there. We'll tie it all together. But follow me as I go along with the sermon today. Starting in verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life she seeks wool and flax and works with her willing hands she is like the six of the merchant, she brings her food from afar she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her husband and portions for her maidens she considers a field and buys it and with the fruit of her hand she plants a vineyard she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong she perceives that her merchandise is profitable her lamp does not go out at night Sashes to the merchants Strength and dignity are her clothing And she laughs at the time to come She laughs at the future She opens her mouth with wisdom And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue She looks well to the ways of her household She does not eat the bread of idleness Her children rise up and call her blessed Her husband also Her husband also And he praises her Many women have done excellently But you surpass them all Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her work. Praise her in the gates. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from you always, God. And I pray, Father God, as we come to understand the culture we live in, this vain, you got to be beautiful, you got to be young, you got to be vibrant world we live in, otherwise you're useless and yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean nothing this world we live in, Father God, that if you're not somebody, you're nobody. Father God, let us know what it really means in your eyes to be beautiful on the inside, to really understand, Father God, that beauty is deceitful. Vanity is here today. It's gone tomorrow, God. Open up our heart and open up our mind, Father God. So we don't fall into this trap of thinking so highly of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Vanity or or beauty is vain is what I wrote down over here. And tonight I want to look at what the Bible says about reliance on beauty. Reliance on beauty. And the underlying attitude of vanity There's a difference between beauty and vanity. We'll be speaking about that. That we live in a society that praises beauty is no secret. I want to read a passage out of a book I've been reading. It's moral psychology, social psychology. They get into this kind of stuff. Uh, A Princeton professor of social psychology says this. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, so forgive me. He's talking about a test he did. He said when he began his work on this, there was already a lot of research showing that we judge attractive people to be smarter and more virtuous. And we, are all my, and we are all more likely to give a pretty face the benefit of any doubt. Juries are more likely to acquit an attractive defendants. And when beautiful people are convicted, judges give them lighter sentences on the average. And he goes to quote many different uh, uh, scenarios, documented cases of all this. It's good reading. It's good insight. And it's this kind of stuff we have to fight. This is the culture we live in. People like to see a pretty face. They like to see a handsome man. And and people get away with this. And the culture elevates this. And the culture praises this. And and we can all fall into it and we don't even know it. Even if we don't want it for ourselves, we can be partial to the beautiful, to the rich of the world. It to be very, very. Vanity is not just how do I look to everybody else. Vanity goes further than that. Vanity goes much further and we'll get into this as we go along. But that we live in a society that praises beauty is no secret. Beauty is the goal of most young women and the number one desire of most young men. Now, beauty in itself is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, possessing, there's nothing wrong with it. Being attracted to beauty, is nothing wrong with it. But when it comes to the primary goal of some or the primary requirement of others, it's problematic. It's problematic. A young man, if his primary goal, that the requirement has to be attractiveness and beauty, very, very problematic. And if a woman's only goal is to fit in and, and to be... Eighty six pounds and six foot tall and to look like you're malnourished and you don't got those strong arms to be a frontier type of woman that we just read about that could take care of the family, work at the same time, take care of the needy, take care of the poor, and you know you gotta be something that the T V is telling you or Hollywood is telling you, and all of a sudden that's what a man desires, that what a man's want, that is problematic. Many deep psychological issues happen because of what a young girl might think a man wants, because now it becomes an idol. And just to let you know, vanities—the word here we use—is used in Scripture for lie, falsehood, image, an idol in the Old Testament. It becomes an idol. And one that blinds us to other realities, pride, conceit, self-absorption, all of which have its own consequences personally in our life and the injury to other people. The vanity is closely associated with just a, a vanity is closely associated with a high assessment of oneself compared to other You see, vanity doesn't live in a vacuum. It's not just, it's not about how good do I look. How do I compare and weigh up to the rest of people? So now there's a comparison game. Am I living up to the expectations of the world around me? Am I exceeding others? To possess something that everybody else wants could be a curse. When you have that beauty, when you have that look, when you have that charisma, when you have that wealth, whatever you have, and you have that which everybody in the world wants, that's a dangerous position to be in. That's dangerous. Attractiveness in this world could be more of a curse than it is to be thought of as a blessing. You possess that which everybody desires to have. When you have the beauty every woman wants and every man desires, very, very dangerous. Vanity expresses itself basically like this. Look at me, my beauty or my possessions, my anything. First John 2 talks about this. It's the prideful possessions of life is a vain expression. Know me by my possessions. Know me by what I have. Know me by my beauty. See, God is nowhere in the equation of this self-worship. God's nowhere there. Talking to a brother not too long ago, loves the Lord. Loves getting in shape. Loves working out hard. And uh, we're talking a bit about uh, the sermon. And he started smiling because God had convicted him. He wanted the six-pack abs because the summer was come. Now... That's not the coming to come into church with a six-pack abs. That's the beach. <laughs> you know, and yeah, you got your six-pack abs, and everybody's worshiping the six-pack, you know, and you, it's a head trip. It's a head trip. But even to someone when you love the Lord, I love the Lord, I know you love the Lord, but we can fall into this trap so easily. Look at me. And when we have any of that kind of vanity for any one thing, our possessions, what we have, understand something, God is nowhere in the equation. You cannot say, look at my God. I'm too busy prettying myself up to say, look at me. And then somewhere along the line I'll tell you about Jesus. That's what vanity does. But understand something about vanity. It is a double-edged sword because i Best, remember this at best if you were 18 or 20 you had it all it's a fading glory it doesn't last it doesn't last it's a short period of time when you have it all and then the wrinkles start to appear and the gray hair starts to come and things start to change and it will change it's a fading glory it doesn't last. It wasn't meant to last. Sooner or later, it comes to an end, and it can be devastating to the vain person. God uses the slow death of the flesh to sanctify many a Christian's heart. I'm going to tell you that right now. Many, This Christian, I'm speaking out of his. I'm like, Lord, I need help. It doesn't end. It doesn't last. Sooner or later will become the physical features change, mental capacities change, everything starts to change, and the flesh absolutely hates this. The vain person will suffer silently under this tyrant, doing anything and everything to stay young, look young, act long, anything. Extreme and extraordinary expensive measures. And this is a society we live in that worships beauty, worships youth, has all sorts of remedies for medication, surgeries, got all your magazines, cosmetic mag- magazines. It's all there. It's all there to consume you, to remind you you're growing old and you don't want to. Beautiful thing, right? Let me be sensitive here, you, though, right? We all can suffer from it, at least to some degree. All of us in here are probably suffering from it, including myself, to some degree. And it's very nuanced. Here's the thing. What I'm speaking about today, it's it's not something that flares itself up. There's no criteria in scripture that says, hmm, that brother over there is struggling with vanity. Oh, look at that vain Christian woman. Look at that vain Christian man. This is a deep issue of the heart that only God and the Christian knows. That's it. That is it. This kind of stuff is off limits to the prying eyes of other Christians who say, oh, look at that person struggling with vanity. Because we just don't know the depth of this. There's a lot going on. For some, cosmetic surgery is, is fine. doesn't bother them. If they have it, they have it. They don't, they don't. It's, they're not going to lose sleep over it. It doesn't turn them into something else. It's fine. to them. But the other people, that'll put them through all sorts of head games, trying to stay young. Do the guys look at me? Do the women look at me? And, they, and it opens up a door of, you know, things you struggle with, with insecurities when you were a child. There's one thing to struggle with insecurities when you're 16, 17, 18, but you're struggling with insecurities at 50. Enough is enough. So we got to be careful what kind of doors we open up over here. To some people it's not a big deal. But to other people, it could really get into their mind and infiltrate their mind. For others, it's a monster that is never, ever, ever satisfied. Ever. The most important thing to remember... How much time do we spend on it? How much energy do we spend on it? How much money is it costing us? At what cost am I going to try to stay young and attractive? How much time will I spend in the gym? How much time will I spend thinking about it? How much money will I spend on it? How concerned am I about how people perceive me? Am I more concerned about my outer appearance than my inner person? There's a rule of thumb, this nuance. Vanity between us and God is what First Peter talks about in 1 Peter 3-4. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jackie, I might have told you 3-3, but it's, 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 it's verse 4. But let your adorning be of the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I ask you today, is the mirror your friend or is it your enemy? Be careful how you answer it. Be careful. If you're trying to please the mirror, it'll kill you. Question. As a Christian, am I growing old graciously and accepting the seasons of my life as part of God's grace and plan for my life I'm going to ask it again am I growing old graciously accepting the seasons of my life of my life as part of God's grace to me as part of this plan to me let me give you an example I'm 56, my wife 57 and of course we've been hearing these words for at least 5 years a little longer I'm getting getting old like, I ha- like I'm entitled to live forever. I got this entitlement. Don't you know? I'm Brian Martin, 145 seconds. I'm supposed to live and be young forever. And so we go through this. I'm getting old. We're going through this reality that decrepitude is setting in Everything's hurting. and we're forgetting things and we're looking at each other and something falls on the floor and we look at each other who's going to bend down to pick it up and it's like how are you feeling today? Well I feel a little better than you do so it's your turn to pick it up because I don't want to pick it up I'm getting old we're getting old, we're getting old, we're getting old if I could sing I would sing it but I can't as I get old I still can't sing but we were away in Florida last couple weeks ago, and God speaks to you when you're relaxed. And, and I mean, God really spoke to my heart because it set me free and it set my wife free. And I realized something. We're not getting old. God is allowing us to grow old. He's allowing us to grow old. As though I'm getting old, like I could stop it if I wanted to. Or, uh, I got myself to be 55 years old and and I'm getting old. And I have to realize, no, God's allowing me to grow old. And not just that, I am seeing redemptive redemptive history. I'm seeing redemption. I'm seeing a cross in a way I could never see at 30 years old. He's allowing me to have a wisdom at 55 I could never have at 40 years old. I'm seeing the cross. I'm seeing the, the wonderful plan of God's redemption in new and fascinating ways. I can love people like I could never love before. I can care for people Today, like I could not care for them when I was 35. I have a deeper com- uh, capacity, capacity for compassion and empathy and sympathy, more than I ever could have had as a younger man because I was too busy on myself. I can hear people talk differently. I can see life differently. I can pastor better. Because God is allowing me the grace to grow the older Christian is someone who can say, I really have seen life from both sides. Now, nah. nah. Hollywood has caught this and documented it perfectly in the movie Sunset Boulevard. The movie of uh, Norma Swanson, that fading actress from the silent film stars in 1950, Uh, William Holden, I think it was, uh, Gloria Swanson, right? Yeah, Yeah, Gloria Swanson. And there she is, she's fading away. Everybody's forgot her. Her glory is fading. She was at the top, the the pinnacle of her career in the the roaring 20s when it was silent films, and, and all of a sudden they're forgetting about her. Who is she? No one knows her anymore, but she still remembers her beauty. She still remembers her fame. And she goes through this whole thing. She's living in this old decrepit mansion. It's falling apart. And, you know, it's well documented. And she's living a delusional life. She cannot accept it's over. It's a great movie. She couldn't accept it was over. She created her own reality. It's a great movie. I won't get into the whole thing. But it really captured the nuances That we're a society that just can't accept it. We fight it, and we fight it, and we fight it. Now, listen, I like to stay young as long as I can. I like to exercise, I'll well, I'll do all that. But when it becomes an obsession, I'm telling you now, you're worshiping yourself and not God. When I am obsessed with myself, and periodically we can go through something where obsession sets in, and I'm obsessed, and I'm looking at this, and I'm feeling... There's no worship. You're not going to the glorious praises of God. Something else has gotten away. And I know what you're saying. Oh, Brian, that's far from me. I'm not, that's never going to happen to me. But many of us do it and we don't even know it. We become obsessed with things that obsession is never part of God's plan for our life. I can tell you right now, if any of us are obsessed with anything other than God, it's not part of God's plan. No other obsession but Jesus Christ. I know that's easier said than done, but that's part of sanctification. That's why it's painful when you hear a message that touches your heart. It's painful when the Word of God is, is, is pressed down on issues of our personal life. It's painful because God is removing the obsessions because in the heart we are all pagan worshipers, and we don't even know it. It runs deep within our veins. And it's painful. Sanctification is painful. It's not God's best. These obsessions with physicalities and our appearance and growing older cause deep insecurities on one hand or greater egos on the other. And it's a lose-lose situation. We've got to be so, so careful. There is a way, I want to tell you, Brothers and sisters, is a way to grow old graciously with Christ. With dignity. With a sacredness to it. With a waking up and saying, praise God. He's given me the privilege of growing old with him and his word. And understanding what life is about. And not being young and not being immature. Not being reckless. Not being self-consumed and self-absorbed anymore. He's allowing me this freedom of growing old. Let's go to the text. Just a though. The text, what we read, this verse of Scripture, that beauty is vanity and it's only fading, falls into a larger context, and it's all about a man, what a man should really desire in a woman, and that beauty can have its place, but even then, it's limited. Beauty in, is limited in our in our relationships because... At its best, it doesn't last. It's, it's a fading, it's transient. It's transient. You fall in love with a, a beautiful woman, beautiful woman falls in love with a handsome man. Uh, guess what happens? Beautiful woman turns into older woman. Beautiful young man turns into older chubby man. And it happens. Things happen. And you turn around and say, How did I get here? You can't can't get away from it. So beauty has its place. The, the, The proverb's not saying beauty doesn't have its place, but it has to have a very limited space in our criteria. What's more important is, do they fear the Lord? Because that's an intangible. That's eternal. Because there's more to a person than what they look like. Vanity, beauty can be very deceitful, as a proverb is saying. It actually means lying, it means falsehood, it means image, it means idol. All that glitters is not gold. Behind that, beauty could be a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde. We can lie to ourselves. And we can build our lives around this 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 other people's praises and not the praises of God. And the mother is telling the son, the king, be careful! Choosing a woman, be careful that you don't go for all the glitter is gold, the beauty. It can be deceitful, it's fading. I'll tell you what to look for look for a woman with character. And when you trace that character to its common denominator, you'll find behind it the fear of the Lord. Be attracted to that. Be attractive to that. Don't be delusional. We live in a culture, this is what 3,000 years removed from this proverb, and nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. As I read from uh, uh, a psychologist over here, people are bent on giving a free pass to those who are pretty. They get away with things. We have to remember what the scriptures say. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But it's the word of God which endures forever. Do you know the Bible is so unflattering to human nature? It's unflattering. You can't say, oh God, no, God doesn't like anything like that. He's not into the prettiness. Even the prophet Samuel fell prey to this. Prophet Samuel, yes, Jehovah. Go to the house of Jesse and anoint for me a king. Yes, Jehovah. Oh, surely this must be the king. Look how tall and handsome he is. Nope, not the first son. Not the second son. Not the third son. No more sons. Except for the son that's in the field. A ruddy looking kind of young man. David. And what did God tell Samuel? Do you remember the text? God doesn't appear on the outer man, but what's on the inside. We are an outer man driven society with no room for genuine character that fears the Lord. Even some of our our relationships can be built up as we mature. We understand that a lot of our relationships were built up on superficial things and not on genuine character. But what really counts in our life what counts in our friendships what counts for our, sp- our spouses is someone that fears the Lord this is the intangible this intangible is imperishable it never leaves and it should be the first thing we look for in others and it's the first thing we should look for in ourselves is the fear of the Lord it's the only thing that would generally it's the only antidote for the world's love of beauty And self. We have to pursue something in life. Beauty has its place, a very small place, but fearing the Lord is the primary place that we should pursue. A, I want to please the Lord in all things and at all times, should be the attitude of our hearts. And when Brian Martin is not operating, I want to please the Lord at all times. I want to please the Lord in all seasons of my life as I grow older. Then something's going to fill that void and it will be me. He said, accepting God's plan for my life. Let me explain this text, okay? Proverbs 31.30 is the summary of the characters we read about the woman of noble character. He basically sums up the whole thing and says, don't follow the beauty. It's deceitful. Be careful of the vanity. It'll fade. I'll tell you what to look for, son. Look for all these characteristics because that's a woman that fears the Lord. Look for that. That's what's beautiful. That's what's valuable in life. It's more precious than anything else. Don't get caught up. It's 3,000 years ago. Don't get caught up, young man, young king, about what everybody else is caught up in. Do not be deceived by that. Beauty has its place, but character is what the Lord desires. This is the kind of wisdom you should look for in a wife, young man. The book of Proverbs is written to give young men and women discretion. Insight, prudence, knowledge in life. To put the young man, the young woman on the right path of life. And the book of Proverbs does it two ways. It talks about lady wisdom and it talks about lady folly. The first eight chapters of Proverbs is all about how valuable wisdom and the fear of the Lord is. But when you get into the ninth chapter, it makes a, a, a transition from the value of Proverbs, the value of wisdom, to the obtaining of the wisdom, and that's chapter 9 on. And it's laid out as Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly. And if you were to say, you know, Pastor, if you were to took all the wisdom that Proverbs talks about, and you were to somehow... Say, paint a picture, a literary word picture about if a person really followed that, what would you get? What would lady wisdom look like? I would tell you, go home, read Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31, and that's a summary of all the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. If you want to know what Proverbs, by living by it, will produce, look at the woman of noble character. Because if you and I really live by the book of Proverbs and that kind of wisdom is in our life, that diligence, that prudence, that foresight, that faith, that love for the needy, that love for the poor, that love for our family, that love for our spouse, our love for our children. And we're industrious and, and we're entrepreneurial and we, and we took all the gifts and the talents God has given us and we give it back to him and we give it back to his church. Understand something. That's the fulfillment of all the wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And we see it in that woman, that idyllic woman, personified as a woman of diligence. And it's interesting when it comes to the fear of the Lord, when you read this, and you would think the fear of the Lord is somebody who's at church all the time, and church is part of it. This woman's at the temple all the time, and and temple was part of it. There's a woman that quotes scripture, and knowing scripture is great. But know something in, in Proverbs 31? Nothing religious is said. Temple's not mentioned. The law is not mentioned. The king, the prophet, the priest is not mentioned. The only thing is mentioned is character. That's it. People that fear the Lord are people that are represented by character how we deal with other people. Character speaks for it. Character speaks for itself. I don't have to give you a resume. It speaks for itself. And you would say, well, Brian, what does this have to do with vanity? We're we're talking about vanity. We're talking about beauty. You're giving me an analysis of biblical theology and Proverbs. How does that break down? and this is how it works, because we live in a delusional society that's bent up on image and not character. Vanity, as I said, both in the Greek and Hebrew, also means image. We live in a society that cares less about character is more concerned about what? Image. Just like I read. There's more studies in this psychology book on how that works out. That people are willing to lie so they look good. It's another study. People are willing to lie so they look good. Image, right? Than to be good. Character. I think about what's going on in America today. You look at TV and you see the big photo ops. Everybody's happy. And it's all image driven. It has nothing to do with one's character. As a matter of fact, we live in a society today where we'll vote leaders into government, elected officials that look good, that sound good, that promise good, and what they are in their person, what they are at home, what they've done in their past, their record is meaningless. As long as you can tell me it's all good and it looks good. We live in an image-driven society. We have really degraded into a people that character is meaningless. Surround myself with youth. Surround myself with beauty. Surround myself with false hopes. Lie to me. Do anything to me. But please just make it quarantine me from reality. And that's what vanity is. It's a big lie. That's another word for vanity. Falsehood. And that's what vanity is when we chase it. I ask, do we spend more time on the outer person or the person of character? On the inside. What's more valuable to us today? Honestly. Every Christian, by nature, by definition, are people that want to live and worship and please God. God has put in you and in me, I'm not asking you to fear the Lord. It's not my job. The Holy Spirit has put that in you already. It is by grace you taught my heart to fear. Oh, amazing grace. That is what drives us. Not image. Not how good can I look? What are people saying about me? What's their assessment about me? Am I trying to stay younger? At what cost am I going to get caught up in obsessions that take me further and further away from God? Make me unproductive in the kingdom of God? Where's the character? And do you know that this, this thought has, this mindset has drifted into the church. That a church, many churches, when I went to a rocking church, you ever hear that expression? Yeah. Rocking. 30 people singing, they're all under the age of 25. There's not a pimple up there, they beautiful people. <laughs> they're all dressed in the nines, they got it all. The sound is good, everything is good. The whole thing is, I'm not saying it's not good churches like that, please understand, but we'll promote youth. You have to save the youth. Get the youth. There are churches where if you're, if you're over 30, you feel out of place. It's the hip church. Got to be there. Get the skinny jeans on, fit right in. You know, color your hair, don't look old. Don't look, it's like Soylent Green, the movie. Don't look over 30. You're over 30, you get killed automatically. Don't turn 30, you had to run for your life. But see, to understand something, that's, that's a great, great mistake. We should not highlight youth and beauty as something to be praised. That only God uses that. We've got to be very, very, very careful of ever falling to that. That high energy, that, that photo op, that looks good, it sounds good, it's rocking. God must be in that place. But I ask you this. Unless the character of the fear of the Lord is drenched in any ministry. I don't care how it looks. How careful we have to be that. I was at a youth conference. Rocking place. It was rocking. Everybody was young. It was so rocking it turned to a mosh pit. You know what a mosh pit is? A mosh pit... It was from the grunge days. It was from uh, the CBGB days. And people would just jump off the stage and are drunk and on drugs and half naked and bodies rubbing against each other. And the rest is, you know what? But I saw this in a Christian congregation of youth. They were so filled with the spirit. They were rolling around on the floor with each other and hugging each other. Understand something. That might look good for a moment. But biology is going to get in there. And it did get in there, and it did get ugly, and it was not good, because that kind of stuff, that kind of image, is no power, can't compare to character. So we got to be careful as Christians, to so what we perceive is 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 real godliness. We got to make sure as Christians what we perceive is real Christian ministry we got to make sure as Christians we see that I'm getting the character of Christ in every message. That the message is cutting me to the heart. And it's producing in me nothing less than the character of Christ, which alone is the personification of all wisdom. There is no photo op with Christ. Do you know what the prophet Isaiah says about the Christ that was to come? He was a homely man. He He had nothing to look upon. Upon his beauty, there was nothing to gaze upon. Nothing. Jesus Christ is not some six-foot-five-tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed messiah. Probably got a big crooked nose. Probably in good shape. Probably in real good shape. He was a mason. He worked with his hands and his stones. We're going to see him just the way he is. But please, do not think there's anything about Christ to look on That we would gaze upon his beauty. There was no attraction to Christ, but his pure holiness, his character, nothing else. I will go on as far as this, that a woman did not even lust after Christ, because he gave no appearance, he gave no scent of that kind of false masculinity at all. When a woman saw Christ, when a woman was around Christ, she felt elevated. She felt invigorated. She felt praised by this man. And as men, I speak to all of us today, that's how a woman should feel in our company. Nothing less. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word that's always challenging us on the inside out, God. And though we covered many themes and many different things today, God. I just want to pray before we take communion, Lord God, before the ushers come up for communion, that we really think about this and we really look into this, Father God. And where has vanity and the chasing of beauty and the chasing of youth And and the glory days, as Bruce Springsteen would say, or those romantic teenage years, as Billy Joel would have said it, Father God, we're, we're chasing something that's over. God, I pray for all of us here at Sonship Ministries, God, that we know the deep joy, the deep peace and contentment of knowing that you're allowing us to grow old with you and to get a deeper perspective on life. Let us all know the deep joy, the deep joy of contemplation that comes with growing older, Father. And that we're a people that see life from a different side now, Lord God. And we can see redemption. And we can see just how beautiful redemption is when we see the fall, God. So I pray, Father God, for all of us here at Sunship Ministries, Father God, that you remove these traps within us, Father God, of trying to... Be younger. Look more beautiful, Father God. These obsessions, Father God, that are a double-edged sword, Father God, because it's a fading glory, and we could never, ever quench it in Jesus' name.